eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In-depth conversations. Matchup breakdown. Everything a Steelers fan can want. This it's fourth down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. And welcome in to another edition of Fourth Down in the Steel City. After our live post-game edition on Sunday night, we are ready to go. Turns out we may have gotten more sleep than the Steelers. At least those that aren't good at sleeping on planes. We'll get to that. We'll get to... A bunch of stuff that Mike Tomlin had to say on Tuesday afternoon on the south side. I happen to be there uh, in person covering for Jeff Hathorne, Mr. Do-It-All for 93.7 The Fan, uh, and Mike summarily shot down a couple of my schematic questions, which we can get to a little bit later, Josh. But as always, before we get started, let's remind everyone that subscribe, follow, like, react, comment we welcome all of it make sure whether you're getting it inside your odyssey app a-u-d-a-c-y it's free download it today or however you get your podcasts that you are getting the latest episodes of fourth down in the steel city as soon as they're ready easiest way to do that follow the podcast or subscribe to it whatever your uh, podcast situation calls for or just keep checking back to the 93.7 the fan youtube page and subscribe there because the video versions of the podcast go up And that's where you see us as you're looking at us right now, if you're on the YouTube page. Um, Josh, nothing super shocking or surprising from Mike Tomlin's press conference today, but I thought we could kind of work through it item by item. There was a feeling down there this morning that there might be more to talk about regarding the layover in Kansas City. For those that are just catching up, um, Steelers were in the air after leaving Las Vegas late uh, Sunday night. And apparently there was something with oil pressure in an engine, or I don't know. I, I can barely drive a car, let alone fly a plane. They wouldn't let me near one. But they had to divert to Kansas City to do some repairs on the plane. 
And apparently Mike Tomlin didn't want anybody getting off the plane. So he suggested everybody get some Z's. And if you're not sleeping, coaches will do some work. So they busted out the iPads and they did some work. But they were there for a long time, Josh. They were in Kansas City for upwards of about eight or nine hours, I've been told. Just sitting on the tarmac, in a plane, waiting to get moving again. Uh, And he said on Tuesday, we're going to make it a non-issue, to be honest with you. As I stand here now, it's a non-factor. My desire is that as we move away from it, we'll talk less about it because I don't want it to be an excuse in any way, nor some galvanizing thing in any way. But he pointed out again, they had their iPads, so the coaches got work done while they told the players to rest. But it has kind of pushed their week back, say, half a day or so. And that a lot of the stuff they would normally do at the facility, as far as looking at tape together on a Monday, is going to have to wait for Wednesday. Um, I don't think it's any great shakes. I don't think it slows them down and getting ready for the Texans. But definitely not the best way to recover from a game, especially the physical nature of it, by sitting in a plane for nine hours. Now, Chris, you know I'm not one to nitpick, but (laughs) you're in Kansas City for eight hours. And no one ate any Gates barbecue? No one gets any barbecue, right. Maybe that's why I didn't want to let him off the plane, because he knew they would immediately be gone to the barbecue place and not come back anytime soon. I wouldn't make a big thing about it any other reason. (laughs) But that's something to make a big think about. You you can't leave me in Kansas City for that long with nowhere else to go and not get some Gates barbecue. That's all I'm saying. I mean, have it, Dude. have it, have it. Uber eats to the plane, right? right? DoorDash, I mean, man. Yeah, DoorDash at the airport. That's nothing new. I mean, I don't know if they're done with all the renovations and stuff there in the construction. You might not be able to find a place to park. But outside of that, True. I'm taking the same tack. But to be serious about it all, I yeah, it, we've seen this before from Mike Tomlin. We've seen him do this with certain situations. We've seen him do this during the COVID season when everything was happening, and that was the infamous "We do not care" quote mm-hmm. that became the meme in the. The, uh, the choice video for certain people to use over and over again. He doesn't see comfort. We know this. This is his thing. And quite frankly, I think we knew, given the circumstances, even under normal circumstances, they're going to fly back all night, get back early in the morning. And that kind of messes up the day a bit as far as yeah. them trying to get some rest and recover and stuff like that. So stuff like that is to be expected. Like you said, it, it shifts things around a little bit, but it totally doesn't kill them. It's, we're not talking about the 2020 season where they lost their bye week entirely because yeah. another team decided they didn't want to follow the protocol at all. We're, we're not there with that particular situation. So a lot of guys in this roster have seen and dealt with worse. So I think I don't think they're going to make a big stink about it. What was interesting to me is that uh, I asked him directly about several times on Sunday night when they got to the line of scrimmage and they were presented with five down linemen like they were against the Browns a couple times previous Monday or stacked boxes, and they still ran the ball into those line, those defensive fronts anyway. And I said, you know, what kind of latitude does Kenny Pickett have in that situation? And he kind of, it was interesting to me. He threw it right back on Matt Canada to an extent, saying, why would we have Kenny do it when we know there's five down linemen? out there. It's not a player decision. It's a coaching decision. You see the defensive personnel that's coming on the field as you're making the calls. Um, So he further explained, you know, the checks are different from week to week. Um, I think we need to get used to as a fan base. One thing while still, I have questions about another. The one thing is 
he's still a young quarterback. He has not yet played a full season's equivalency of games yet. So he's not necessarily going to be like Ben Roethlisberger drawing plays up in the dirt or just at the very least having an encyclopedic knowledge of the playbook in his head. Who also was not doing the same thing at the same point of his career. We got to remind exactly. ourselves exactly. of that too. Exactly. Young quarterbacks do not have the ability to walk to the line and check out of something and into anything else that may exist on planet Earth. They're limited. They're limited from a run to a run or a run to a pass or a pass to a pass, whatever pass to run, whatever the situation may call right. for. And Mike Tomlin said as much to me uh, on Tuesday afternoon. But what is interesting to me, Josh, is that on a week where we're all sort of looking at Matt Canada and saying, hey, you did some things right, bud. Good job. Um, that sounds a little bit more to me from Mike Tomlin like, well, pff, wait a second now. He's still running the ball into these eight-man fronts, and I'm not necessarily a big fan of that. It it, it tells me that there's still some work to do. I, I was really, really taken aback by what he mentioned in his opening address. He said sometimes getting better on the coaching end is putting more cohesive plans together. It yeah. sounded like he he's saying, like, you know, yeah, we did it good this time, and sometimes that makes a difference. It That – it didn't sound like a backhanded compliment, but it said, okay, it was more like, okay, you got it right this time. Exactly. But can you do yeah. it in perpetuity? I think that's yeah. kind of what that rang. Not that I'm a Mike Tomlin interpreter. I like to think I'm better at it than most, but that's how it rang to me. And then just like you said, you know, he said that's, that's more of a coaching thing as far as that particular situation, as if to say, all right, you know, we're putting this on you. You got to help us figure this thing out because that's your job to figure this out. It just, it yeah. sounds to me, as if they're giving Matt Canada a lot of latitude saying, hey, we're not going to kick you out the door, but we are going to make sure you earn your chair to stay in the room. Sure. And I don't think that's the same thing. I know a lot of people want to see him kicked out the door yesterday. And they made plenty of cases as to why. We're not going to get into those here. But based on what we saw this past week, and you saw a lot of people, people that, that watch film for a living, people that have played this game, they're saying, hey, look, Matt Canada called a pretty good game. Mm -hmm. And you heard different people talking about it, whether it was Mike Tomlin or the players, they were saying, look, we had success doing this because we were able to start doing the basic things well, because they were able to run the ball and get some success for it. And we talked about it after the game, that first drive, they went three and out, but they got nine yards in two plays running the football. It just so happened that third play was a third down play they use very often in that situation. And the other team pretty much was like, hey, if they line up with this and this down the distance, that's when you stop them, and that's what you expect. But outside of that third and one play, the first two plays, you got into a third and one, you did your job well. So the yeah. fact that they were running the ball despite those five-man throats that we're talking about, you get four yards and then five yards and two carries, you're doing okay from that perspective. So I think knowing that that led to some at least early understanding of, all right, at least we're getting some push and some space up front to give us some breathing room. I think that's what led to everything else. And Mike Tomlin pointed this out too. He said, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to do anything with your quarterback, like rolling Kenny Pickett out. He said, it's something we plan to do, but it's hard to do when you have 15 plays and five possessions. Yeah. You can't really expand your playbook if the early stuff you're doing is not working. And I think a lot of that is hand in glove. Well, and I think a lot of this comes back to, a concept that I think Mike Tomlin is very comfortable with. Otherwise, he wouldn't continue to allow Matt Canada to have the latitude to do it. You've described it several times this season already in that they look at the first couple of possessions 
as an opportunity to not just set things up for later, but kind of diagnose what the defense is presenting to them. Um, it's why, you know, this thing that I, we shared it, I shared it with you guys in the text thread earlier, mm-hmm. um, the first 15 plays of the game, what are usually for most teams, the scripted plays, the Steelers are far below every other team in the league on uh, EPA per play on their first 15 plays of offense per game. And it, it feeds into what I think is, I think Matt Canada, and maybe this is what Mike Tomlin's telling him and why he was a little happier with what he saw against Vegas because the first and second down of the first series, like you talked about, Matt Canada's got to do a better job of working through that progression mm-hmm. as an offensive coordinator of, hey, I'm not going to spend the first 10 to 12 to 15 plays trying to figure out the opposition. I'm going to go into it knowing, okay, I've got maybe one, two, three options I'm going to be presented by a defense and I'm going to diagnose them in the first, say, five to six plays. Yeah. Um, so I, I, that's something I, I, I want to see. It does, does this offense, because they can't continue to work from behind, right? That's part of their Achilles heel, this offense. The reason things looked as good as they did at times on Sunday night was because they had the lead most of the time. They were able to dictate the terms. After and, eight minutes to go in the second quarter, they never trailed again and it was never tied again. Right. That's a huge difference. Oh, night and day to what we saw against Cleveland and certainly what we saw against San Francisco. It loops back on that that Mike Tomlin quote you just mentioned where he talked about, hey, you know, we're going to be more diverse in our offense if we're running more plays and we've got more opportunity to do that if we're not constantly three and out. Um, That all feeds into, I I think the message is probably still, hey, you, you you did all right. You got to keep doing better on the offensive side, Canada and Pickett. I'll I'll take what you're saying about diagnosing in the first five six plays. Mm-hmm. I'll scale it down even further. You had success running the ball in those first two, and you had third and one. What's one of the things we talked about? Work Sunday. They use play action. You know what would have been a good time to use play action? Yeah. Third and one on your first drive when you ran for five yards and four yards on first and second down. That yeah, is the right. time when you start to say, hey, let's try this here. And this is something that I've had talks with other people about over the years. And I've heard this theory that there are some coaches that like to treat the beginning of the game just like the end of the game. They have their idea of this is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to do that. And if you take the down and you take the time in the quarter out of the equation, Sometimes they could look the same as far as how the play calling gets constituted. Am I saying that this is a direct situation? No, but there are some people that have that theory. Could we have seen a play like they used on that third down to go to Allen Robinson, one of those drives to extend it, something to that degree? That would have been nice. Or just like I said before, something that involves play action because it's something that actually plays off of what you would have seen before. Because any other time they get third and one in that situation, they do that thing with the two tight ends and they bring the guy in motion and they run that fullback dive and it doesn't work a lot of the time. This would have been one of those times, hey, bring out play action because you know the defense isn't looking for it. Yeah. We, we've been talking about how predictable this offense can be. Do something they don't see coming for a change. And that's, maybe you have different results. That's the thing. Like, it reminds me of, you know, we've all got, I'm sure you do. I, I have, you know, family members that like they have to, you, you get together for like a family holiday, right? And they got to eat dinner at a certain time, right? They got din- dinner going to be ready at 530, 545, no later than that, right? I got to sit down. I got to eat. 
so I can mm-hmm. take my pills. Um, it, it's not always the older people in the family, but sometimes. Anyway, my point is this. They are so regimented in how they want to approach the beginning of games that they're not allowing themselves the freedom and the fluidity that Mike Tomlin talks about there outside of having an early lead. And you can't always mm-hmm. count on that. You're going to have to be more fluid, more flexible, even when you're behind in games in order to really truly get the full scope of an offense and give the defense a challenge, not just a physical challenge, but a mental challenge. Because if they know, Oh, it's, it's third and one pickets under center, let's stack the line, bring the linebackers up, bring a safety up while you're at it. Then it, it, they've got to find more unpredictability, unpredictability. I'm using the, the wrong term, I'm sure, but you know, they can't constantly wait to have the lead and to be piecing together long drives in order to get to that point where they find more diversity in the offense, I don't think. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, there has to be a, a point where you can't keep going to the same well over and over again. And, and I understand that, you know, like you said, there, there are some things that are just regimented. There are some people that just have their tendencies and their habits. It's something you can set your watch to. But mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be, you know, something that everybody in the arena or everybody in the stadium knows is coming. It doesn't have to be that particular situation. And I think we figured out just exactly why this offense had the struggles that it did. Because, you know, we we talked about this with San Francisco. When you have so much going against you at the same time and you get to the second quarter, you're you're in the first quarter, you're already down by 10. By the time you get the ball with two minutes left in the second quarter, you're down by what? Was it 17, I think it was, or some ridiculous number, or 13? You're trying to figure out, or I think they might have been down by 20, but you're trying to figure out exactly how to get some rhythm going. And at that point, you're just trying to find anything that works. You don't have to necessarily go that route, but you at least need to have some sort of, I talked about this, I think on Twitter with some people, just have one or two corollaries. If A, then B, if B, then C. Just have something there specifically that it doesn't have to be a completely different concept, just tweaking something slightly. It's something that might be a shotgun look instead of an under center look. Something that might be a shotgun look that might be a run play or an under center look that becomes a, a play action and rollout, mm-hmm. an opportunity for Kenny Pickett to make the play that he could make. It doesn't have to be big. It just needs to be something that subtle that just throws people off. What was um, slightly amusing to me, I've seen some people are already big mad about it. I, I Look, I, I go into these situations knowing that coaches and players are – very rarely 110% truthful and honest with us, right? Like they're going to tell us what they want to tell us and let us know what we need to know. Um, What was kind of amusing to me, uh, and I thought some of the other people down on the South side today, was that when Brooke Pryor of ESPN asked Mike Tomlin about his mojo comment from last week, right? Which he gave right off the top. He talked about how he felt like his offense had lost some of their mojo. Um, he, he, He pivoted right back and said, I'm going to be straight with you. I'm paraphrasing that. I'm going to be straight with you. I didn't mean that. Um, You guys kept asking me questions. And so I threw out a colorful word or phrase. I do that sometimes just to get you to shut up. 
Again, I'm paraphrasing. Um, now, it was interesting that, again, you could go back and see that he he threw out the, the offensive mojo thing early before he was asked a question, but it, the point still stands. He's not he, – sometimes he's going to say things just to say things. All mm. coaches do. All players do. Um, you know, Najee saw right through it, right? I don't know if you saw <laughs> Najee's post-game comments. He <laughs> said really sometimes Mike T just be saying some sh- – you know, yeah. and, and you know, okay. Najee don't care. He don't, he don't no, no. So if, if Najee and the players and the coaches can see through it, I think sometimes um, we take ourselves a little too seriously. And I saw some people, they were big mad Tuesday afternoon about the fact that Mike Tomlin, <gasps> he, he just what? Yeah. It happens sometimes. Folks, when I hear people complain about what, like, oh, he says this in press conferences. He's giving you what he's giving you because he doesn't want to give you what you want. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, it's been, what, 17 years? He's been not giving us what we've wanted for <laughs> 17 years. And you think it's going to be different. Why? It's not. And I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, how many coaches' press conferences do you watch? Because most of the time, they don't tell you anything. They They're- don't give you anything material. Because they don't want the possibility of someone else, i.e., the opposing city or opposing teams, media mm-hmm. people, hearing what might happen or hearing what they might be leaning toward. They're not going to give you that. They don't want to give you anything of what they're doing because, God forbid, someone knows what they're going to see when they walk into the stadium. Now, granted, with this particular offense, they don't have that problem because other defenses know anyway. But still, it still comes back to the general premise of not giving anything away. Because you don't want to tip your hand. And he's been doing this for 17 years. Not to mention, in fact, before last season, he did a podcast with Ryan Clark. And I believe it was Fred Taylor and Channing Crowder. He told him, he's like, look, I'm not giving you a window into my soul. He said it then. I'm not going to tell you everything was on my mind. Because after that, there really is no point of him being there. He's pretty much given the entire game away. They probably don't even need to play it. But you... You can't explain that to some people. This is also a fan base that, by the way, will believe memes and believe internet stories written by people named Happy Gilmore. So you got to take it with a great salt sometimes about what people get upset about. Like there's there's a group that I'm in on Facebook. I'm not going to say which one, but someone put a meme up with, of Mike Tomlin saying this quote that sounded so ridiculous that would never come out of his mouth. And people are like, see, that's the stuff he says all the time. I'm like, folks, it's a meme. We're, we're believing memes now. It's really, I mean, really ridiculous. I think that's like, more indicative of humanity of, of of humanity's place in the death yeah. spiral yeah. as a whole, rather than and, just and, sports. But yeah, you're right. And there's there's this contingent of people <laughs> that think that they're they're just supposed to know everything that's happening. That they think they deserve to hear all the information. That they deserve to know what the team is going to do. Let me quote Snoop from season five of The Wire: "Deserve got nothing to do with it." Okay. <laughs> These guys do what they do for a reason. They're not going to give you what they're doing for. They step no. out on the field. What's the use of stepping on the field? Yeah, it's not not going to happen. Um, and, <laughs> so it was. Just, it's it's funny to me when people oh he's can't believe he did. Eh, you know what he 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 doesn't owe you the truth. He doesn't. Neither do any of the players. Neither does anybody else. I mean, I guarantee I, you, he walked out that room and didn't think twice about what he said when it was over. No, in fact, Probably he repeated himself once the mics were off. He repeated himself again, Josh, saying, <laughs> listen, you guys got to know that mojo thing. Just sometimes I get tired of answering your questions. And it's like, he okay. gets tired of answering questions often. Let's be honest, especially yeah. from certain people. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. So um, people that we know quite well. Yes. Um, <laughs> he did the one. I'll tell you the question he loved, though. Oh, the question Mike Tomlin loved this Tuesday. He was asked mm-hmm. about Will Anderson of Alabama, who was the third overall pick in the draft, um, taken in the first round by the Texans right after they took C.J. Stroud. And I meant I thought he was going to have to strip down Josh and give himself a cold <laughs> shower right there at the podium. The look on his face was like me when I discovered my uncle's stack of Playboys in his office. Oh he was – he literally went, Will Anderson. Love Will Anderson. Really talented guy. And then went on this long soliloquy, this long story, which actually ended up being very insightful. It was a great the, story. About the process. Uh. He – and it used to be Kevin Colbert. Now it's Omar Khan. Um, the process they go through at Alabama's Pro Day specifically and how they go down there to Tuscaloosa every spring and they invite all the best players to a dinner. And they know full well that some of those guys are going to respectfully decline because they know the Steelers are picking wherever they are in the first round and that they're projected to go a whole lot higher. And they'll, they'll never fall to the Steelers. But he said, Will Anderson, despite that, came out to the dinner anyway when they went to Bama's Pro Day this past spring sat right to Mike Tomlin's left. Brian Branch, for what it's worth, sat directly to his right. And he sat there and talked ball with these guys all night, specifically Will Anderson, and said he could tell he he had a passion for the game and he's not really surprised with Anderson's relatively hot start to the season. I think a Baker's dozen of tackles, a sack, he blocked field goal last week. Um, he, he gushed over Will Anderson. And What's interesting to me is that this is one of those things. This is another thing that I think gets lost in the sauce sometimes is Mike Tomlin builds these relationships and he's well known for doing it. He builds these relationships in the pre-draft process. And look, Will Anderson may not be a Houston Texan forever. Will Anderson may be a free agent someday. And Will Anderson may have his choices of places to play. And whether it's Will Anderson or Brian Branch or Minka Fitzpatrick, um, guys have an opportunity to go elsewhere um, once they're through the first few years of their career in some cases. And when he's built up the relationship that he has with some of these players, you can tell they admire him for what he's accomplished as an NFL head coach. He admires the way they play the game. He's he's always got a relationship with that guy now going forward. Um, It's almost like a way early recruiting process for when that guy gets through his rookie contract. If he does get through his rookie contract and he's thinking about, well, I just spent X amount of years in Houston and things didn't go well. Are the Steelers interested? I remember Mike Tomlin was a really good guy when I hung out with him at pro day. Like that's something that he is. You talk about doing things now for later down the line. That is prime right there. Chris, we have a word for that in our line of work. We call it networking. Yep. A lot of people use that word in their line of work mm-hmm. as networking. So it, it you laid all of it out very succinctly and very well. And there are people who hear that and get upset about it. I don't understand why he talks to all these people in the draft. He's not picking them anyway. Folks, networking carries some kind of weight. And the only thing that bothers me more than the people that complain is that some of the people complaining, and Chris, some might take offense to this, and it might not even be necessarily our listeners, but colleagues that we have that may take offense to this. Chris, we work in a business where sometimes the reason why you get a job is the guy you worked with previously 
where you went to school, who your professor was, Absolutely. where you worked at your last station. That's sometimes how we get from job to job in our profession. And we have in, in lots of professions, in lots of professions, right? And, and, and not we particularly, because we're not the ones that do this, but colleagues of ours will sit in the seats that they sit in and try to run down a coach from an NFL franchise for doing the same exact thing. It is the biggest and stupidest slice of irony I've ever heard of. And I say all the time that irony is undefeated. But there are people who literally have gotten their jobs doing the exact same thing coming down on Mike Tomlin for doing it. I'll point to another thing that I think is relevant to this particular topic. During the broadcast Sunday night, I don't know if everybody was paying attention, Chris Collinsworth told a really good story about Mike Tomlin. He talked about how he meets with players during the draft process and how he builds these relationships. He says, some of these guys come up for trades or they come up for free agency. He said, Mike Tomlin says, I have this list of guys that I already know I want to call. And I call them and they say, you know, we're, what took you so long, coach? We were waiting for you to call. He said, there are guys that I've, you know, scouted in the draft process and their parents get upset with me because I didn't take them. But then they become free agents or opportunity for a trade down the road happens and they come in. And how many stories have we heard, Chris, of guys that have come here from other organizations that follow that exact same storyline? Joe Hayden among them. Patrick Peterson among them. Minka Fitzpatrick fits this dynamic perfectly. They took Minka Fitzpatrick out. Same thing. Guy from Alabama took him out to dinner during his pro day. And Mike Tomlin gushed about Minka Fitzpatrick the same way he gushed about Will Anderson. He was a guy that really just admired the way he played football. And it also doesn't hurt when Nick Saban calls you the smartest player that he's ever coached. I think that mm -hmm. goes a long way. But then Minka Fitzpatrick, what, four years ago, becomes available in the trade. They trade for him after week two. And the rest, as they say, is history. There's a reason why some of this stuff happens. There's a reason why it pays off. And uh, for people to complain about it is absolutely insane because go look at some other rosters where teams could upgrade talent and they fail to over time or they turn over talent on their rosters year after year because they don't know how to bring guys in. And this guy's been doing it for a decade and a half. Or just places where where people don't – like uh, Tom Coughlin won a pair of Super Bowls in New York. I'm not here to to denigrate Tom Coughlin. I but, got a theory behind that, but we'll save that for the show. <laughs> Greg knows my theory. I want to hear it. Hold on. Um, but like Pete, nobody liked playing for Tom Coughlin. No. I know guys that had to play for Tom Coughlin that saw players get benched because they weren't five minutes early for a meeting. Right. Mm. And they couldn't stand playing for Tom Coughlin. Now that aside, they may have won some games with Tom Coughlin and that's all well and good, but nobody was going to Jacksonville when he was there. Nobody was going out of their way to go to New York because he was there despite two Super Bowl rings. Mm -hmm. um, so that does matter. You're right. The networking part of it does matter. What's what's your Tom Coughlin theory? Oh, well, actually, I have two theories. One is that Tom, the, the reason why Tom Coughlin beat Bill, uh, Bill Belichick twice, they're both Parcells guy. Makes a Parcells guy to beat a Parcells guy. That's one oh, theory. Okay. The other theory is a little bit way down the rabbit hole. Greg knows exactly where I'm oh, going. So now, probably now I'm primed for it. I'm primed this. for it. MCU fans will appreciate this. I have this theory that Eli Manning is a Loki variant. <laughs> but that's an entirely different dynamic. And I could go into the details, but it would just take an entirely different episode. Just just trust me about the fact that Tom Coughlin winning two Super Bowls. There, there's some some magic and science in there that we haven't discovered. I'll leave it at that. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Greg, I, I trust this is probably more built for an off-season episode, right? It is. Yeah. It totally is. Okay. Yeah, 100%. Okay.
All right. Well, we'll save our Tom Coughlin, Loki, Eli Manning. Eli Manning is a Loki variant. I think Tom Brady kind of gave us the hint. All right. We'll say Tom Brady was like, look, you really think I would go for a script where I lose to Peyton Manning's little brother twice? (laughs) Eli's the younger brother. Just take that seed and let it grow from there. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to let it fester back here in this corner of my brain right here. I during, told you, during, I told you, you didn't want to know. Yeah, I, you. When, when I wake up in a cold sweat from a dream tonight, where Eli Manning and Peyton and Tom Coughlin <laughs> and uh, uh, okay. Anyway, last thing I wanted to touch on from Tomlin Tuesday was this: he was impressed with the way Steelers Nation took over Vegas. Um, yeah. Said it was almost home like. Um, and he did for practical purposes, not just for the purpose of stroking the fans ego, but he did reinforce the importance of stacking quality road wins. Um, and this weekend is another opportunity to do that. Um, although he admitted we might get challenged from a hostile environmental perspective more in Houston, but we might not Steelers nation might show up in Houston as well. And he said, I'd be glad to see them if they do. Now I will say this. While Houston, where my dad was from, where I was born, didn't really live there extensively as a kid, lived in South Texas, but here nor there. While Houston may not be the biggest tourist attraction in the world, certainly nothing like Vegas or L.A. or even Seattle, where they're going to go towards the end of the season. It is one of the most central locations in the country geographically and has some of the easiest access as far as airfare goes um, for fans. Steeler fans from around the country, if they're thinking, hey, I'm looking for a Steeler game to go to this year. I can't afford Vegas. I can't afford LA. Seattle's too late in the year. Maybe it's Houston. I think we might see a decent number of terrible towels at, uh, what is it? Is it Reliant Stadium? Yeah, Reliant Stadium. I think it's Stadium. Energy now. Is it energy? It energy? changed like four times. That place where the Texans play. Yeah. I think we might see a whole lot of yellow towels. I'll say this much. And here's another factor that comes into it. The the cheap availability for tickets. Mm-hmm. You ain't got to pay 500, 600 a pop like our buddy Dave talked about in Vegas. It's a much yep. different dynamic. It's going to be like, probably a lot cheaper to get tickets in Houston. And I will say this, being being a, a former resident of the South for about three years, one of the first things I ran into meeting people when I moved down South is I ran into a lot of Steeler fans. So they found that I was from yep. I ran into a lot of Steeler mm-hmm. fans. And I'll probably bet I got a couple of fans that live in Arkansas that might be in Houston by the time that game kicks off. Shout out to my buddy Cherie. She's one of them in Arkansas. But there, there is a contingent of Steeler fans all over the South. And there are some that have the wildest stories of why they're Steeler fans. A lot of it is, oh, my family lived here or my uh-huh. parents were fans back then. And so I wouldn't put it past Mike Tomlin for him dropping a hit like that. That might have been like strategically placed just to see if he can get just to see if he can get some extra people to think, hey. Maybe we can make that trip to Houston and go on down there and see the game. I, I don't put that past him to maybe plant that seed for a few people and get some and, extra fans in Houston. And it, seriously, it might be the most affordable option for Steeler fans who don't live in Pittsburgh. Like I would if say you so. if you live in Pittsburgh and you can't get to a Steelers game because you don't have season tickets, you don't know somebody who has them, whatever it may be. And the next you think about it, the next closest option is Cleveland, Cincy, or Baltimore. Okay, I get it. Well, this year, the way the schedule stacks, you're going to have to do some traveling. You're going to afford the airfare to go to Seattle or like we talked about the tickets in Vegas or L.A. for that matter. Houston might be the next best opportunity. And let's be honest, we know there's a big contingent of Steeler fans in Mexico, too. 
Yep, and it's seriously. not it's not that far a drive up from Mexico to uh, Houston. So I don't know. I think we might see a decent number of Steeler fans there on Sunday afternoon. I I'd be surprised if it was anything less than a forty to fifty percent Steeler fan contingent. You think that many? That's, I was going to say seventy thirty. I was going to say seventy thirty, but yeah, yeah. my I, baseline is forty percent Steeler fans. Anything less than that, I'd be stunned. Seriously. As we progress throughout the week, we will continue to build up towards that game at NRG Stadium. Sorry, let's get the corporate sponsorships in. NRG Stadium on Sunday in Houston. Uh, We'll talk some more about what Mike Tomlin had to say about C.J. Stroud because he had pretty glowing reviews on him as well as we build through this thing throughout the week and up to what could be, and again, by all accounts, a lot of Steeler fans looking at it this way, should be a 3-1 and start to the season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But... There are some things that the Texans have put together under D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Slowick, an important San Francisco connection there. Um, perhaps we will see some similar things week four that we saw in week one. Hmm. Uh, something to think about and something that we will talk about as we progress through the week and build up to that game. Thanks to Greg Finley, our producer and a fellow Marvel Universe conspiracy theorist <laughs> alongside Josh Taylor, I'm Chris Mack. Make sure you subscribe and follow the podcast however you get your podcast. This is Fourth Down in the Steel City.